Well, the Lord seems to be leading us this morning as we look into his word and even already as we've been singing the value of our relationship with the Lord, his value to us and the, just the confidence that he's working everything out. That's what we've been singing about. And in that psalm, just the idea of not being envious, not looking around us going, but if I had or, and you know, this is one of those uh, one of those passages that we're studying this morning in Genesis chapter 30, that as I read ahead, I was going, what do I do with that? <laughs> you know, Lord, what are you going to say to us through this story? And it's been interesting just how the Lord has, you know, you spend time reading his word. He brings other, other passages to mind and just prompts us to think about our lives and about how foolish we can be at times, and about how wonderful he is all the time. So let's uh, continue to prepare our hearts. Let's bow before the Lord and just ask him to, to speak to us through, through this story, through his word this morning. Father, we, we've come together today to worship you, and we've been doing that. You are worthy. You're a worthy God. In so many ways, you are the creator. You are the recreator. You're the one who saves through your son and the cross. You brought us back from death, Lord, to life. And you've given us a new vision of this uh, life around us. And I pray that we would hold on to that through looking to you at all times. That we would understand that there are things we don't understand. There are things that often seem unfair. There are things that are unfair in this life. But over all of that, you're worthy. And you've given yourself to us. You're worthy of our praise for eternity. Help us, Lord, in this time, in this life, despite what's going on around us, despite even turmoil that's in our own hearts, to lift up your name. And to remember that you have a greater value than all of these things. These things around us and these things that are happening around us. And may we find our, our stability in you, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lead us now as we look into your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in the story in Genesis, Jacob was married. Uh, he was married to Leah, the older sister, the one he didn't intend to marry, but his father-in-law tricked her, and he didn't really love Leah. He loved Rachel. He loved the younger sister. He married her. But, you know, even at that, I think it's safe to say it was an immature love. It was an incomplete love that he had for Rachel because Jacob's first love was for himself. We saw that, didn't we? In the birthright, the blessing, the deceiver, the tricks, the schemes, so that he could get what he wants. And really, I think Rachel was another one of those things that he wanted. And even in his relationship with God, we saw his self-love 
God presents in in an incredible way through a vision. And he understood the reality of God being present with him. And then he says to God, well, if you give me food and clothes, if you take care of me, keep me safe, those three things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, we don't have to worry about. God will take care of those things. We just follow the Lord. He, he was just concerned about those things. And he, was, he says, you know, if you do this for me, then I'll let you be God. I'll let you be my God. And so we understand that Jacob has a long way to go. Even though he's chosen by God, he's blessed. He's a ways to go in understanding love. And isn't that the same way with you and I? We're growing in our understanding of what love is. Our ability to love others, to sacrifice ourselves. Not, I get what I want and it makes me feel good. But I'm ready to sacrifice for God in the way he sacrificed for me. God sacrificed loving Jacob, didn't he? I mean, this guy who wasn't worthy of his love, he said, you know what? I'm going to bless you. You are going to be my guy. I'm going to build a nation through you. Salvation is going to come to the world through your family. God did that for us, didn't he, on the cross? Unworthy as we are, that was the whole point of the cross. Christ died for our sins. He pays for our sins so that we can be his guy, his girl, his person, a child of his, so that he can work through us to communicate his salvation to the world, who he is, his love, his glory, his grace. Even though we don't, we don't deserve that. We're not worthy of that. And so, so we see God continuing to love. He doesn't give up on Jacob. He doesn't give them what will be bad for them. Even though that's what Jacob wanted a lot of times. Even though that's what we want. But God will allow us sometimes to get what's not good for us. Because we want it so bad. And he says, well, this is the process. This is how they're going to learn. And that song cues in my mind. I think I've quoted it here, this line, this very line. From Rich Mullins' uh, song, Hold Me, Jesus. The line says, I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want, then take what you give that I need. And that is Jacob's life. And oftentimes it's your life and my life, right? We, we're fighting for what we want, and it doesn't satisfy us in the end. And God's saying, here, here's what you need. Here's how things should go. And so we need to learn. Love, true love, is sacrificial. It's other-focused. I'm willing to sacrifice for what's best for you, God, and then find out, well, that's what's best for me, too. And God has a plan, and he's working it out. Well, God's love is faithfulness. It's not fancy. Jacob did get tricked by an evil man, but he should have probably just accepted where he landed. 
He landed in a relationship with Leah, the older sister. And before the chapter ended last week, we saw how God, God's plan was working out. She had four sons. The fourth one, Judah. The one through whom the Messiah would come, the Savior of the world. So God's, God's working things out. But Jacob's still thinking about what he wants, so, you know, have to marry, has to marry Rachel. Rather than just saying, I'm going to sit with where I'm at, where I've landed, and trust in God. That last song, I think the last song we're singing, trusting that, you know, God has things together. He has a plan here. We just have to focus on trusting in him. Because you've heard the saying, you know, making a house a home. Well, with Jacob's final moves, he made not a house a home. He made his home a hell. And he admitted that at the end of his life. Remember, we touched on that, Genesis 47. End of his life. Someone asked him, well, who really are you? How was your life? What did... And he says, few and evil have been the days of my life. It's been a hard go. It's been a hard go. So today we land uh, in the next chapter, chapter 30, and we're studying romance and retribution okay you're thinking oh boy this is going to be a real drag but hey this is the stuff the hollywood pours its money into this is good entertainment right tv sitcoms movies all that stuff is all about love triangles right why doesn't it sound so exciting in church <laughs> you know I'm not going to try and make this like a tabloid or anything like that. But, you know, we, we, we go, oh, my goodness, what's happening? And it's not even just the movies and the TV shows, but it's even the lives of those who would act those things out. Heard it a couple times over, over the, the last couple of weeks. Um, we, we've decided to divorce amicably in order to pursue our individual growth. Doesn't that sound wholesome? These are the people who provide us with the entertainment that is entertainment based on disastrous relationships. And so what we're looking at this morning is disastrous relationship. And it's not the, the idea is not here that we identify with human failure and we go, yeah, my life is significant because I have those same struggles, those same feelings. No, the idea is look and learn. We correct our course. God's teaching us through his word, through the lives of people who, who didn't get it right. To say, hey, I still love people who don't get it right. And here, here's some help in getting on course. So this is exciting, right? You're excited about us adjusting our course, even at the beginning of fading, going off course, getting things wrong, so that we can, we can nail it. We can live our lives to the glory of God, even in the difficulties that we face. So this is where we've come to. Genesis chapter 30. I'm going to start reading. Let's see what it says. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children... Okay, Jacob, the husband, Rachel, the younger sister, the one that was more loved, 
apparently more beautiful. Leah, the older sister, had just had four kids, four boys, more importantly. I'm not saying that because I'm a guy, but they're thinking of, yeah. Okay. When Rachel saw she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Well, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld her, withheld, sorry, from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she might give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah's wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. We know the story. It's a Bible story. But do we really see what's going on here? Like, this is real life. I mean, we begin here in, in chapter 30. We've got Jacob. He's the young, dashing, upward-rising professional. He's a gifted entrepreneur. He's blessed by God. And his gorgeous wife. They are the one who everybody else would be looking at, who everybody goes, wow, we wish we were like them. And yet, here they are. The beginning of their relationship. And they're at each other's throats. They're angry. Why? Because of envy. Envy. What's envy? Seems like such a small word. And it starts out so gently. It's like... We look at something somebody else has, and we have an appreciation for it. Nothing wrong there. Oh, that's, maybe it's a, if it's a good thing. And there are a lot of good things that people can have. And, and, I mean, she can look at her sister and say, well, look, she's got children. Children are a good thing. Blessing from the Lord. Start out with an appreciation. Then it grows into a, a want, a desire I need to have that thing. You become envious of things, and then what happens? It moves beyond that, and you become jealous. You become jealous of what? Of people. And there's even another step beyond that, which we'll talk about later, murder. And you're going, wait a second. That's the next, that's the next step, as I understand it, as I actually read about it this week. This is how things go in terms of the process of sin. But, you know, I brought to mind James chapter 3. Remember we studied James a few months back? And James says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
the idea. Be, be honest about that. If jealousy has come up in your heart, be honest. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. But this is earthly, unspiritual. In fact, it's even demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. We let jealousy come into our hearts. We allow it to, to sit there and grow. Anything can happen. Anything. And it does in this world today. And you're saying, well, that seems a little extreme. Wait a minute. What about the story? What happened in this story? I know we kind of we read through it. We, we glaze through it. It's ancient history. We don't really think about what went on in this family. Well, what went on? Jealousy here caused conflict between two sisters. And out of that conflict, Rachel and, and Jacob are attacking each other, blaming each other. Rachel becomes a pimp to her maid. Now, I assume you understand what that word means. We don't often talk about that word in church doesn't come up in conversation, but this is what she does. She takes this maid of hers and uses her for sex to get what she wants. She produces two children through putting this woman in an illicit sexual relationship with her husband and then on top of that, she starts going, God's blessing me. How often do we do that? Maybe not that exactly. <laughs> but that's not what I'm saying. That wasn't where I was going. But we do this sort of thing. We work hard to get what we want. We do things we shouldn't do to get what we want. And then we go, look, God's blessing me. I got what I want. That happens, doesn't it? That's our natural bent. And God has called us as his children. He's filled us with his spirit to be supernatural in the way we live. And I'm not talking about miracles coming out of our, our fingertips, but just the miracle that we would go against our natural sinful desires and we would do godly things. We would sacrifice our, ourselves and our wants to do what God wants to bless other people. That wasn't what was going on here. And we see what James was talking about. If jealousy is uncontrolled, every vile practice, anything's possible. And in fact, as, as I was reading about this, and, and then from jealousy comes murder. And we go, What? Murder, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. No, it's not. But that's what can happen. And we'll see that. She gets these two sons. One she calls Dan. Excuse me, Dan. The Hebrew word for judge sounds like Dan. So I was judged worthy. 
And then Naphtali, wrestling. I wrestled my sister and, and I won. And this, of course, would have caused, calmed all the conflicts in the house, right? Especially when she, she yelled for her sons. She called them. Every time she calls them, it's like, God's judged me better than you. I wrestled with you and I won. You know, we don't think about that when we read through the, the, the names of the tribes of Israel, do you? Do we? But if those kids, and as we go through the names, if they were, if they were given English names, they would sound something like this. It would be like, so there. Take that. Gotcha. Back at you. Is that all you got? Check this out. Imagine every time those kids are called in that house, it's like a, a stab in the back. I won. God blessed me more than you. You're wrong. And it just got worse. Every name and aggressive challenge, a catalyst more, for more conflict, and it worked. Now, just in contrast to that, we need a little bit of contrast. What if there was real love? What's Paul saying, Timothy? True love casts out fear. What do they say about dogs and biting? Usually they bite out of fear. There are some dogs that are truly aggressive, <laughs> and they just want a piece of action. But most of the time, dogs are concerned. They're afraid, and so they bite. It's the same thing with people. And Paul says in Timothy, true love casts out fear. Mm, what's that mean? Well, if we're confident in the relationship that we're in, there's no reason to feel insecure. You think about Rachel. Was she confident? Was Leah? No. Neither of them were. They were in a wrong relationship. Two women in the same marriage. And Leah's thinking, I've got more sons. But she, know, she knew her husband didn't care for her. And Rachel, I know he cares for me, more for me than her, but I don't have any, any sons. There's no inheritance coming my way through my children. And as well, there was no confidence in their relationship with God. We're in the early part of the story. The story where people are understanding who God is to them in this blessed relationship. And you know, beyond their relationship in their marriage, what if they had true confidence in their relationship with God that was over all of that stuff? What if we had true relationship, or true confidence, sorry, in our relationship with God as it was? God saying, hey, I'm committed, period. I will do what is best for you. I will care for you. I will give you everything you need. P. 
period, you're good for eternity. What if we really understood that love and really loved God back and so that we could be confident in that? Well, nothing else would matter. The circumstances that we go through, the injustices that we face, right relationship with God sort of pushes them to one side. Is it, well, I know that God's working out something more wonderful than I can understand in this moment. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. We take nothing out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. There it is again. What else do we need? God will give us our daily. Th- that's, God says, that's not, a de- that's not a big deal. I have got you for eternity. I am taking care of you completely from the inside out. You're mine. Just be confident in me. That wasn't what was going on here. They were worried about children. Thinking of an example of how that, even that very thing, can, can work into our hearts and minds. We worked for a dozen years in Peru with older missionaries who were like mentors to us, the Elliots, Bert and Colleen. And they went to Peru Back in the 50s, when they were in their early 20s, that was they honeymooned on the ship, a ship, a cargo ship, wasn't the love boat, on a cargo ship going to Peru, and they started as missionaries down there. They were going to serve their life in Peru. They were going to, uh, you know, raise their family there and everything. They never had kids. They were never able to have kids they loved kids they would have loved to have had kids in fact there was one couple who was uh, at an anniversary celebration of the Elliots and and they went up and were talking to them They, they shared this story with me and were saying you know you guys are so so blessed by God all the years of ministry in Peru. They ended up serving the Lord there for about 60 years. They ended up planting about 150 churches, works in villages along a tributary of the Amazon and up in the mountains, uh, of the, the Andes Mountains in Peru. And this young couple was saying, was saying you, know, you guys are so blessed by God. And they pointed to their two sons and said, no, you guys are blessed by God. They weren't saying they weren't blessed by God, but just expressing that whole idea of having children, what a blessing it is from God. And that was something that they did not have. But in the last weeks of Bert's life, he said to me, I am so happy. So happy with how God had used them. Even without having children, being denied that. They never blamed God. 
But they had that godliness with contentment, deep relationship with the Lord. And they could see it. We didn't have kids, and they had all this flexibility. They could go to one village, the next village. They could travel up and down uh, the Wayaga River in a boat. They could travel through the Andes Mountains in a, in a camper on the back of a Ford truck, stay anywhere they wanted for any amount of time. God used them in that way, and they said, this, this must have been it. God's given us tons of spiritual children all over northern Peru. God had his plans. What if we thought about those things that we call limitations as God leading? Sometimes we think, man, I'm limited because I don't have this thing or that thing. I don't have enough money. I don't have, what, abilities maybe you're thinking? What if we trusted God completely? What if we loved him with our whole hearts? And we understood he's sovereign. And even the injustices that I might face that are limiting me it's God's way of leading. Because that's true. It's true as we look through the scripture, God guiding him, people, God holding people back from one thing and leading them into another thing that they don't think is so attractive, but he is doing something more wonderful. Isn't that the cross? Satan offered Jesus the whole world on a platter in the temptation. And he said, no, God, the Father, and I, we're going a different route, a harder route, an unjust route to accomplish his will, which is obviously, obviously more wonderful And yet we look at this human story and there wasn't godliness with contentment. If we have food and clothing, as it says in Timothy, we will be content. This isn't what, what happened here in that st this story. And those verses in Timothy go on to say, but those who desire riches, those who want to have, those who see things and go, I've got to have that, and I'm going to do everything I can to get that. They fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Ah, that's what these guys had. That's what we see in this family here. These temptations, drawing them into envy, jealousy, and they're just willing to fight and do whatever to get and proclaim the victory, and things just get worse. In those first few verses, the, the title I had, yeah, the envy turns the gorgeous Rachel into a green-eyed monster. 
Well, then we carry on. Jealousy turns mild-mannered Leah into a malevolent manipulator. We carry on with the story. Verse 9, it says, When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah, gave her to Jacob as wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Gad means lucky. (laughs) Good fortune. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Happy, Asher. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben, Leah's oldest son, years must have passed here, he went out and he found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. The the belief at the time was that these mandrakes were like an aphrodisiac that promoted fertility. You know, these mandrakes, you look it up, you're thinking, oh, this is, you know, something special. Maybe it's passion fruit or something like that. They're like potatoes, apparently. (laughs) Those are no small potatoes. And so she says, give me some of these mandrakes. Rachel, who has no children, but she said to me, But she said to her, sorry, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you also take away my son's mandrakes? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's potatoes. (laughs) That's called prostitution, by the way. Buying sex. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave him my servant, or gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Payback. God's given to me my wages. Payback is, is going to be his name. So lovely Leah, who'd been lifted up by God, because of her mistreatment, because she was a trick of her father, and ended up in this marriage where she was unloved, God gave her sons because of this mistreatment that she was in the middle of. Then she all of a sudden becomes lecherous, Leah. She tries her hand at the envy, jealousy cycle. Does the same thing with her maid, Zilpah. I'm not going to use the word again prostitutes her husband for the price of a plant. She names her kids Lucky, Happy, and Payback. You'd think Paul was reading this story when he wrote Galatians chapter 5. I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify those natural desires of the flesh. And Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But these are very natural things for any human being, any one of us to fall into. But we're not called to live a natural life. We're called to walk in the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. And we might be scratching our head and going, how can all of these things be lumped in together? How can we have in this, in this list this thing Envy, which we all can experience in a very simple and easy way, lumped in with idolatry, or sexual immorality. Because it's all the same stuff. There's this continuum of sin, you know, there's, there's sins that we think are, are simple and they're maybe hidden. They can be hidden right there in our hearts, but they're going down a road. As I said, you know, you can look at something, then you long for it. You've got envy. There's jealousy, and the jealousy can end up with murder. We go, how so? Is that true? Is that possible? Right at the beginning. Cain and Abel. Why did Cain kill Abel? was jealousy. That's what it says right there in Genesis. It was jealousy. He was jealous because his brother had a good relationship with God and he did not. Back then, boy, they didn't know all the science. They didn't have anger management classes like we do where we can control that sin and keep it at an acceptable level. See, that's what a lot of times our human psychology is. Let's just keep our sin at an acceptable level. Let's learn how to deal with our sin and make it something that isn't, you know, you're going out and shooting people. You just find techniques of how you can deal with it at home in your own heart. Whereas God says, no, I want to transform you I want to transform you into someone who will love other people, who will love your, fill in the blank, love your, you didn't want to say it, did you? Love our enemies? Is that possible? With Christ, with his spirit in us. If we look forward in the story from where we're at in Genesis 30, we can go to the first gospel, Matthew, verse 27. We know the part. Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they the chief priests, the Jews, 
had delivered up Jesus. It was obvious to him. He was just a pagan ruler. He's going, this is, this is foolish. These guys want this guy killed. He hasn't committed any crime. And it's just because of their envy. They were jealous of Jesus. They were jealous that he was having a bigger spiritual impact on the Israelites than they were. And he didn't seem to be working near as hard as they were. They were so legalistic. And here he was just preaching truth in the countryside. No overhead. And there was spiritual transformation. And it bugged them. So the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And they had them all worked up to yell, crucify me, crucify me, crucify me. And you know what? There's no innocent bystanders in this event. We can't look back and go, wow, <laughs> they were bad. Because this story has impact for our lives today. The reason Christ died was to eradicate envy. Was to take care of our sin. Our jealousy. To take it out of our lives so that we could live for God and his glory. And so as we look at that story, we, we need to say, Who, whose side am I on? Is my life in Christ's hands completely? Or am I being just one other shade of sinner and just carrying on going, you know, as long as it's not out of control, as long as nobody else sees it? The man who saw how this played out in his own life, the Apostle Paul, said in 1 Timothy again, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am first, the foremost, the chief. And we have to ask this question, have we submitted? Are we submitting fully to God's goal for our life? To not walk in sin, but to walk according to the Spirit. Or are we half-heartedly involved, trying to live a managed life of sin that is acceptable for our community yeah, even their, your church community. We can start to say, yeah, well, I've got this issue and that issue. And, but, you know, it's acceptable because it's no worse than they are. And, or nobody can see this. Or rather than go, God wants to transform us completely. I can continue to move toward him to have a closer intimacy as I allow his spirit to work in my life. not be a half-hearted Christian, so-called, or pretending. 
a bystander. Think of what God could have done or what God wanted to do with this family. How much more beautiful it could have been. Rachel, Leah, and the men responsible for all this, because they were. They put the women in that situation. And Jacob's not feeling so good about his family right now. He's feeling more like a fight promoter than a husband. And he's in the middle of the ring getting beat up as well. Oh, how he would have longed a peace-filled wife rather than a productive wife or a pretty wife. And you think about that in terms of who we are. Wouldn't we rather have a peace-filled life rather than a life that we look at and go, wow, I'm productive, I'm making a lot of money or I'm, I'm building a lot of things or doing a lot of things or, or my life looks good. How much more important is it that we have a peace-filled life? Peace with God. Peace with God and those around us. Godliness with contentment. It's great gain. And God's graciousness produces peaceful meekness. And we, we finish this story out, we or this part of the story, we, we read these verses 19 down to 24. It says, Leah conceived again. She bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. She called his name Zebulun. Afterwards she bore a daughter, called her name Dinah. Then God, interesting, rounding out the story, then God remembered Rachel. When it says God remembered somebody, it's not just like he was thinking about something else and all of a sudden he went, oh, wait a second, there's that Rachel. No, when God remembers somebody, it's that covenantal love that he's going, I am going to show them my gracious love that goes beyond what they deserve or don't deserve. He's saying, I am going to focus my love on them. Back at the beginning of this story two weeks ago, we, we, we saw how God remembered Leah. And I'm going to express my love for her and she's going to have some sons. And now at the end of the story, once again, God remembered Rachel, 22, and God listened to her and he opened her womb. This woman who was not able to have children, God allowed her to have a child. She conceived, bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. God has taken away my reproach. I'm not saying everything's smoothed over, everything's good now, everything's wonderful, but there's, there seems to be this, this turn at the end of the story. They're held back in the cycle. They're their longing, envy, jealousy does not turn into murder. But there seems to be a looking to an expression of the fact that God is the one who's at work here, taking care of things. The Lord's taken away my reproach. And I wish we could 
look at our own lives and go, you know, when, when good things happen to us, it's God's graciousness. And that we could stop fighting so much to get what we want or in relationship with other people. Maybe they don't even know we're like envious of them or we're jealous. But you know, there's this, this tug of war going on. We see what other people have. We see how it seems they're being blessed. We read that psalm. Sometimes it's even the wicked people out there who have, and we wish. We're in this, we're in this tug of war with people. We wish we had what they had. And what if we realize that rope we're pulling on? That we think we're, we're in this tug of war. What if we understood that it was a tow rope? And it was God who's holding on to the other end. And he's just saying, come with me. Going back to the idea once again, our limitations leading us. God's saying, you know, don't worry about this. Just follow me. Because so often we get our eyes fixed, focused on other things. Our wants for other things. And, and the injustice that that person who doesn't deserve that thing has it, and I don't. It reminds me of those verses at the end of the story, the end of the gospel story in, in John when Jesus is on the seashore and he's talking with Peter. And Jesus is saying, Peter, love me. Three times, three different ways, three different depths. He says, love me. Love me. This is what, And he gives him this brief little kind of cryptic view of this is what's going to happen at the end of your life. Just love me because things are not going to go well. You're going to be taken where you don't want to be taken and things are going to be done to you that you do not want done. A and Peter says, but what about those guys? What about him? Points at John. What about him? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. You can read about it in John 21. Read about it later. He says, don't worry about him. Think about you. Think about you, your relationship with me. What does it mean for you to love me? Let's not get our satisfaction in life about you know, being ahead of other people, or I'm, I'm catching up to them, or, you know, we're all about the same, so it's okay, or let's think, what is our relationship like with God through Jesus Christ? What is he calling us to do here, now, at this point in our life? Have I taken that step and submitted to Christ and the cross? Admitting I am a sinner and I need him as my savior? Am I walking in obedience with him, responding as he convicts me? Says, you know what? You don't need that in your life. But other people have that. Those people go to church and they have that in their life. Say, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. I want you in relationship with me. How? 
true love. His sheep hear his voice. Sheep hear the good shepherds. They hear, we hear him talking to us, convicting us. We read the word and he applies it to us. You know, we've all read the same story this morning. We've studied it and he is applying it to our lives in different ways. And he's saying, don't worry about other people. This is what I want to do in your life. This is what this means for you. We all want godliness and contentment, don't we? The whole world does. Even those people who don't go to church on Sunday, they want godliness and contentment. They just don't know that's what they want. They just know they want. And sometimes we just live like they do, with want. And he says, no, you want more of me. Walk with me. I'll show you true happiness. Father, help us. Help us to be willing to learn from you. Help us to turn our back on, on just those natural desires that are in our lives. And help us to develop this relationship with you where you say, I'm in. Are you? We see how you work with us. We see how we struggle like Rachel and Leah. And, and we, we're tugging and, and fighting and, and you're limiting and you're holding us back from destroying ourselves worse than we would. And you say, just take my hand, just follow me. Lord, may we do that through our obedience, through our willingness to listen to what you're saying to us in our hearts. May we be willing to make those changes and say, Lord, we want to know you. We want to know the power of your salvation, that transformation in our life where we know joy that is not resting on our circumstances. A confidence that doesn't depend on what's going on in this fragile, self-destructing world. We want to know you, Lord. And we'll show that through our walk of obedience with you. Amen.